You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week 10 of the study Identity Theft, entitled Citizen, Longing for Home. So this week's chapter was called Citizen, Longing for Home. And I don't think there could be a better identity truth to end the study with than this one. We've spent the last nine weeks learning about different facets of our identity in Christ, and we can incorporate every single one that we've learned about into our identity as citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we, eagerly o- and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. Jesus Christ is our King. Our allegiance is to him before and above all things. We are like sojourners, aliens here on this earth. We are just passing through. This is not our home. When the Apostle Paul calls us citizens of heaven, he is calling us to something higher and more holy than being citizens of this world. But he uses terms like foreigner and alien and sojourner, terms that would be familiar to his audience and familiar to us today, to show and explain how we can live practically while on this earth. So with that in mind, I want to introduce you to my sister-in-law and her family. This is Laura, Juan, and their son, Juan Luis. So they are, uh, they live abroad. They're currently living in the Dominican Republic. Um, they've lived, in the past 10 years, I think they've been in five different countries. They, Laura and Juan work for an international English private school system which allows them to travel to different countries and teach in private schools um, there. So um, I don't personally have a ton of experience being a foreigner. So I, I did call Laura this week, and I wanted her to explain to me what it's like for her, to give me examples of, I don't know, how it affects her not being a citizen of the country she's living in. Um, so for the sake of time, I didn't have time to tell you every single detail that she gave, but I did make a list. Um, of the reoccurring themes that I heard throughout our conversation. So she continuously spoke about respecting the authority and the laws of the countries that she's in, even if she doesn't understand or agree with them. She uh, told me the importance of getting to know and understand the culture of where she's at. Uh, It's important for her to learn the language and the mannerisms so that she can properly and respectfully engage the local people. Um, Spending time with citizens who are your neighbors, uh, learning about them, who they are, how they live, and then celebrating with them. There was this reoccurring theme of just celebrating with them. Um, Packing lightly because you're living somewhere temporary, you're not staying there, um, not holding on to things, and honoring your own culture. So along with honoring her own culture while she was in other cultures, she talked a lot about introducing the importance of introducing people from different countries to your culture, but not expecting them to take it on as their own. So not holding them to your standards from your culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's very hard. Um, so this is not an exhaustive list. It's just a few examples. And I'm sure if you live abroad, I know a few of you up front have lived abroad, um, you probably have a bigger, uh, more in-depth list. Um, but I want to ask you each to consider, just based off that short list, Are you living like aliens in this world, or are you clinging to the world that you live in? 
Charles Spurgeon wrote a wonderful sermon on what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven based off of Philippians 3.20, the verse that we read a few minutes ago. Um, I highly encourage you to look it up and read it. I think if you just Google citizens of heaven Spurgeon, it'll pop up. Um, But one of the quotes from his sermon, he says, We are simply passing through this earth and should bless it in our transit, but never yoke ourselves to its affairs. We are first and foremost citizens of heaven. We may live in this world, but we are not of this world. In 1 Peter, we are called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Our calling is infinitely higher than a citizen of the United States, or citizen of Costa Rica, or (laughs) citizen of wherever you may be from. We are not citizens of this world. In Spurgeon's sermon, he also makes a point that Christians should look and sound different than the people of this world. We should stand out. He says it should be as easy to detect a Christian from a worldling as it is to pick out a sheep from a goat or a lamb from a wolf. He also says it should be possible, it should be impossible for you to live among people and them not detect that you're a Christ follower. As Christians, we should be easily identifiable by the way we live our lives. And that brings us to theft. The theft is that we should put our hope in the things of this world. We all have a longing for home. Our hearts mourn the loss of the perfection of Eden, where God made humans to dwell perfectly with him. And Satan, the great deceiver, would love for us to try and fill that void with earthly things by spending our money and our time on temporal things. Things of this world, rather than storing our treasures in heaven, like we're instructed to in Matthew chapter 6. This week's author reminds us that even good gifts from God, such as marriage and family and the home that we live in, cannot fill our longing. She says our desires for home are real, but the misfortune is that we temporarily try to soothe them. And she ends the theft chapter by saying home can be enjoyed in this life, but only as an appetizer of the coming feast. Truth. We are citizens of heaven, made to live in the presence of our Creator in perfect communion. God created man to dwell with Him. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden. They communed with Him daily. But sin broke, broke that perfect unity, and we all feel the effects of sin. Our souls mourn the loss of the perfect, of the perfect communion. We long for the perfection of Eden. But those of us who are in Christ have the hope of glory to come. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not harm you, to give you hope and a future. Through the redemption found in Jesus Christ, we have a glorious hope and are promised a beautiful future where Eden is restored. In Revelation, we're giving, given a picture of our forever home, the new Jerusalem, where we will once again dwell in the presence of our creator, God. Transformation. We live our lives with the hope of our future by investing our treasure in the unseen reality of eternity. We should live every day with an eternal perspective by turning our eyes to Jesus and living how he instructs us to live as salt of the earth and light of the world. Spurgeon gives this advice. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, 
Live peaceably with all men, and serve your day and generation still. But build not your soul's dwelling place here, for all this earth must be destroyed at the coming of the fiery day. Build not your soul's dwelling place here. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This week's Bible verse is Hebrews 11.16, which reads, But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. To end this morning, I'm going to read out of Revelation from both chapter 21 and 22, as they give us the beautiful picture of this city, the home that our verse speaks to. But before I do that, I want to remind you that Revelation is written in human terms by the Apostle John. And when we read Revelation, we know that absolutely everything written in it is 100% true but we also have to remember that what John is describing in Revelation is far beyond what any human brain can comprehend. So as we read of this beauty and perfection that he describes, we can also know without a doubt that what's to come will be infinitely more majestic and perfect and glorious than we could ever imagine on this side of heaven. So, Revelation 21. Says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is followed by a beautiful detailed description of the city, the New Jerusalem. But rather than reading all that, we're just going to jump to chapter 22, where we see Eden restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This, ladies, is our home. God has prepared a city for us where he will dwell among us in the new heaven and the new earth. And when we live with an eternal perspective, when we know where our home truly is, 
we begin to loosen our grip on the things of this world. With that, I will set you loose to your table time. We had to make it really short this morning because we want to end by wrapping up our whole semester and all the different truths that we've learned. So we are going to end a few minutes early today um, from our table time as well. Um, and then we're going to wrap up. We've actually asked one person from each table to pray over the group as a whole to close us out um, for the semester. So um, we are really early. We are going to end 1020. Okay, so we'll end at 10.20 this morning. So that gives you about a half an hour, I think. I can't see the angle. But 10.20, we will reconvene. Oh, actually, too, I have a song to wrap up our uh, discussion time with, but I didn't pull it off of YouTube. So it's straight from YouTube. So if there's any weird commercials, I apologize. Do not hold me accountable for what you might see. <laughs> So you've heard of the term speed dating. Well, this is going to be speed reviewing, but we hope that the few words we have about each of these 10 wonderful women's writings um, will just kind of help you to solidify in your mind. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through each chapter back and forth, and at the beginning of each one, we have the memory verse, so we'll read it together like we were doing before. One last time, we get to read each of these together. And then uh, we each have a little bit to say. When we're done with that, we're going to have some prayer time. One woman from each table is going to pray. And then after that, Miss Ruth is going to um, lead us in. Uh, we're just going to sing one song, a cappella, because you all sound so beautiful. So she will lead us in that when we're all done. So week one, you want to pull up the... Yeah. So let's read this together. Free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So uh, we zeroed in on the following. Justification, which is freedom from sin's penalty. Once we've been justified, our penalty is paid. It is accomplished. And Romans 8:12 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then we talked about sanctification is freedom from sin's power. Once we are permanently sealed, the power of sin is broken. That is just such a wonderful thing to think about. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then we move to glorification, freedom from sin's presence. Once we die, we go with him. There can be no sin in his presence, and we will be completely free. Revelation 22, 4-5 says, They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Jen Wilkin warned us to avoid the extremes, false freedom of license to do whatever we please in this life, under the assumption that we've already been forgiven, therefore do what you want, versus self-imposed bondage of legalism and pride. Her final words were, our complete freedom from sin is certain, but it's not sudden. 
be assured of your justification. It was one day you were freed fully from the penalty of the sin. Be patient with your sanctification. It is. Each day you are being freed increasingly from the power of sin. And be eager for your glorification. It is to come. One day you will be freed finally from the presence of sin. And chapter 2 was reflection. Well, it was actually called mirror, Mm -hmm. uh, image of God. So, And And we we all with with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 3.18 So the truth for this chapter was that God created us in his image. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. To better understand which parts of himself he made us to reflect, we reference the Westminster Confession of Faith which reads, God created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge and righteousness and true holiness after his own image. In the beginning, God created man to reflect him, and it was perfect. When sin entered the world, our perfect reflection of God was tainted. But as our Bible verse for this chapter says, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are all being transformed into the same image. So, Jesus redeems us, and by abiding in him, and through the power of the Spirit, we are being transformed into the right image of God. We are image bearers. Okay. And then week three was child. So, child, to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given us the right to become God's children. John 1, 12. In week three, we took this verse apart. You remember phrase by phrase, word by word, and understood the all-encompassing right he gave us to become his children. We learned from Courtney Doctor that our amazing Father God chose each of us out of his abundant love. Our identity in Christ as God's adopted child means that we need never want for a family. We will eternally dwell with Christ as his bride in the new heaven and new earth. We are no longer slaves or servants. As Ephesians 1, 4 to 5 assures us, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We therefore can bask in the love of our Father, delight in it, sing about it, remind ourselves of it. Most of all, we can rest in it. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Chapter 4 was saint redeemed by the Son. So So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 In this chapter, we focused on our sainthood, which is a result of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Melissa Kruger tells us that as a saint, a saint isn't someone you become. It's who you are the moment you give your life to Christ. God sets you apart, clothes you with righteousness, and prepares good works for you to do. The truth is that sin is no longer our defining quality. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that comes from Jesus Christ. 
We are all sinners, but Jesus redeems us by his grace, and he calls us children of God. Saints. And week five is fruitful. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. In week five, we learned that although the theft of fruitfulness is confusion, true fruitfulness is closely connected to discernment, to abide in Christ, the one and only vine, as his branches. Without him, we can do nothing, but our doing is not designed to be a contest or a measure of our goodness or devotion. On the contrary, it's relying on the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to guide us and convict us. Our union with our Lord depends on his grace, means obedience to him, requires our resting our lives on his love and submitting to his pruning. If we are fruitful, it's because he has given us increase and we praise him for that. We look to him, die with him, abide in him, so that by his grace and his will, we can produce fruit for his glory. Colossians 1.10 says that I may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. Chapter 6 was member connected to the church. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. In this chapter, author Megan Hill tells us that in Christ, we are not simply individuals. We are joined to what Peter calls a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In Christ, we are part of the church. She reminds us that we are made to work in unison with God's people, his church, both universal and local. The truth for this chapter is that God made his people for each other. We reference examples from both the Old and New Testament that show us that God places us together intentionally to work together for his glory. And work seven, week seven was beautiful, clothed in splendor. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. In week 7, we were reminded that God created everything to be beautiful in his perfect world, and that was inside and outside. Our beauty is defined by him, and outward beauty in and of itself is not sinful. But God's true beauty is his holiness, righteousness, and purity. He is the standard of holiness. Jesus, the image of God, is infinitely beautiful. If we're called to be like Jesus, then we're called to be beautiful as he is beautiful, to grow in our beautiful transformed identity as his transformed people. Dust to dust in this life, but for those of us who commit to him, who put our lives in his hands, the true beauty is yet to come in heaven. In the meantime, God will finish his work in us, as Trillia Newbell reminded us, the only beautiful thing that will ever satisfy isn't a thing at all. It's Jesus. Chapter 8 was Servant Reaping a Reward. Whatever you do, work, work heartily, heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you are serving the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. The truth from this chapter is that we were created to serve the Lord for fulfillment, hoping, hope, and blessing. To better understand how God created us to serve him, we focused on a quote from author Kurt Wellam that showed us a beautiful picture of how Adam and Eve lived lives of service to the Lord and their work was pleasant even though it was challenging. Their service brought fulfillment and contentment until sin entered the world. As a result of sin, we seek fulfillment in the wrong places. We seek affirmations from people rather than from the Lord. But Colossians 3, to 24 tells us, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. We can joyfully serve others without earthly gratification, knowing that our reward is in heaven. And week nine, worshiper. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Luke 4, 8. So last week we did a deep dive into what it means to praise God and to worship God, how they are similar and how they are different. We noted praise is a hallelujah celebration and worship is a spiritual relationship, a heart-centered posture of life. He alone is worthy. We honor him with our worship. We are free to live our lives in worship. And as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. In chapter 10, is citizen longing for home. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews 11:16. The world is not our home. We are sojourners, aliens, and while we live in this world, we are not of this world. Through Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed by his blood. We have been made children of God, heirs of the kingdom of heaven, and we hold the promise of a bright future in eternal glory, where we will dwell with our heavenly Father as intended in Genesis. So we walk upright and stand out as salt of the earth and light in the darkness until the day when we join with all of the saints from every nation and generation forever singing, holy, holy, holy. I knew I was going to cry. It's the Lord God Almighty. 